Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson with Bob Lapine. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the US as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. The first audience who would have read Genesis, they would have read this and been blown away, dazzled that this phrase would have been used, that they are a representative of some sort that reflect Yahweh, that I am who I am, like that God, the one who redeemed us, the one who kicked the butts of the Egyptian gods in the plagues and then took us through the Red Sea, that God? Welcome to Family Life Today, where we want to help you pursue the relationships that matter most. I'm Ann Wilson. And I'm Dave Wilson, and you can find us at FamilyLifeToday.com or on our Family Life app. This is Family Life Today. So you've been coaching boys and young men for years and years. One of my joys in life. Yeah. Do you see anything different? Because I love football so much. <laughs> you do, actually. And no, actually, it isn't because of football. It's developing boys into men. That's what coaching's all about. And you've been doing it all ages, from yeah. five years old to 18 years Basically old. Basically, to be with my boys. And has it changed in terms of how boys feel about Yeah, themselves? one of the things that I was shocked at when I was coaching middle school basketball was when I played middle school basketball, if you want to have a scrimmage, you just say, hey, you guys take your shirts off. You guys are shirts and skins. And I remember saying that. This is probably 20 years ago. Hey, let's go shirts and skins. And they looked at me like, what? And I'm like, just take your shirts off. We don't have different jerseys, colored jerseys. And the boys refused to take off their shirts. And I said, what's going on here? I just was naive. And they're like, we are not taking off our shirts. I do not want another person to see my body without a shirt on. And it hit me right there in the gym like, oh, my goodness. They don't feel good about their body, and they're not going to let anybody. And I'm not saying we did it back in the day and it was right or wrong. I just didn't realize it was that big a deal, but it is. And so as I went home that night, I remember thinking as a dad with three sons, how we teach, how we talk about Mm -hmm. body, not just the spiritual part, because we always think, oh, it's only spiritual. No, it's holistic, and it's really big how we as parents guide our kids in understanding their body. So we've got two experts with us. They're experts <laughs> because they're parents. That's right. But they're also experts because they've written a book on this. Uh, Justin and Lindsay Holcomb are with us again back on Family Life Today. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It is always good to talk about this, with, especially with people who are fun. <laughs> fun? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about fun. Anyway, Justin and Lindsay are back. You've written a couple of books, but the one we're going to talk about today is God Made Me in His Image, Helping Children Appreciate Their Bodies. And it's interesting, your qualifications for this book really are being parents, but obviously, Justin, you're a seminary prophet, RTS, right here in Orlando, am I right? That's right, been yeah. teaching there for 21 years. Yeah, an Episcopalian priest. Lindsay, you've got, you used to be a first grade teacher. You do that I anymore? I did. I dabbled in that for a little bit. I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I forgot about that. Yeah, when I looked at your bio, it's like you have 12 jobs, you know? <laughs> yep. Justin, I don't know about Both you, but no, your wife. He has had like a bunch of jobs, too. He does that, too. We like to keep busy. But, um, yeah, I've been doing mostly like victim advocacy work for the last 
15, 20 years. So a lot of the stories and of pain and suffering have given us great motivation for these books to empower and equip parents to then help their children. Yeah, well, as I picked up this book, you know, I've looked at it and it's so illustrated so well. I mean, you're like, okay, this is a book for children to understand what it means to be made in God's image. And I want to hear what you have to say about that. But as I read it, I realized, oh, this is really a book for parents. <laughs> it's a little both, but it's really a book to to model and show and teach parents how do you talk about this with your kids? But talk about the title, because it's like God made me in his image. How do you explain the image of God to a child? Yeah, the title, God made me in his image, we're going straight from Genesis 1. We wanted, we wanted to frame the whole conversation by a doctrine of creation, a doctrine of humanity, in the category in the Christian tradition in the Bible as humans are made in God's image. And that means something. Every day that God created, God said, it is good. Use the word tov, T-O-V, good. Got to humans on day six and said, humans, they're good, good. Mm. Tov, tov, very, like, this is special. We're the crown jewel of creation. An image of God means that we reflect God in a special way like nothing else in creation. But there's really something. I wanted the imago Dei is the theological way of talking about the image of God is actually a tool for parents on this topic because the image of God, if you look at the history, so if Moses writes Genesis, He's writing Genesis to a bunch of people who were slaves in Egypt. And in Egypt, they knew that the, you know, the Pharaoh, the king, and this is common in the ancient Near East, that they had such a large domain that they couldn't be everywhere all the time to, to show their authority and their force. So they would make a statue. And so when Moses is writing, humans are created in God's image, inspired by God to write this, you know, all the doctrines of scriptures all in order. Uh, so God inspires Moses to write, you are made in God's image. There's a little bit of humility because you're only an image of God, but there's a lot of dignity. You're an image of God. The first audience who would have read Genesis, they would have read this and been blown away, dazzled that this phrase would have been used, that they are a representative of some sort that reflect Yahweh, the I am who I am, like that God, the one who redeemed us, the one who kicked the butts of the Egyptian gods in the plagues and then took us through the Red Sea, that God? We're an image of that God? So to be able to take that, and we actually have a page where we explain that, and give that as a tool to parents to be like, hey, let me tell you who you are. You're not just a great quarterback on your team. You're not just a great volleyball player, or you're not just beautiful. You're not just whatever accolade we give them. The top identity is you reflect God in a way that nothing else in creation can do that. That's some dignity that mm. that needs to be repeated. So we wanted to, I think that's a good tool to give parents and, and let them explain it, let them unpack that a little bit and apply it to how they need to, as they know their kid better than anyone else in the world. Now, as we were researching and just seeing the statistics that it's earlier and earlier that girls and boys are starting to have these conversations and questions about their bodies and their size, I think it's even more shocking because of, all that they're seeing, whether it's on video games, on social media, in print, they're just inundated with it constantly. And so Jess and I decided we were like, we need to equip parents to have these conversations, whether it's little conversations at dinner or just by reading this book. How can we give them a foundation to launch from to then have more, hopefully, as things come up? This is across the board for parenting about sex, about body image, about how to protect your body from sneaky people. Those have to be frequent, uh, well-trod paths of conversation. And when should that start, you guys? 
Oh, two, from the, from one, the very beginning. Yeah. Beginning. I mean, it's really early. And you talk about it's not just a one time. There's these little pockets where you're instilling and asking questions all along the way. Yeah, yeah you got to talk about that because so many Christian parents think even the topic of sex with our kids is a one and done. Right. You know, mm-hmm. the, the birds and the bees at age 11, 12, whatever. Or even predators. Yeah. So what's it look like to continue that? It, it is all the time. I mean, I honestly. When our girls were babies, Lindsay changing their diaper would just be talking to them Hmm. and actually just made it normal to talk about proper names for body parts. Of course, I mean, she was doing that just to make it normal, to set the tone, but also she was shaping me because I thought, why are we saying this? This is weird. (laughs) And she explained why. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, my goodness. Like, I would not have thought about this. It makes sense that most people just go, well, uh, sneaky people, you know preventing from sexual abuse, body image, and how babies are made, those are not fun conversations because parents feel awkward. But those are really important conversations. All the more reason to have not just the talk, but have numerous talks. And that's what Lindsay's just kind of modeled to me. So start the conversation. Maybe this is a tool for it. Don't have one conversation about this. This is just sprinkled throughout your conversations. Be aware of this topic and be sensitive to it and have your eyes open for it. Be looking for an opportunity. You might not have a, an open door for a month or two. You might have one as soon as you even get close to the subject. Because mm. here's the thing. If you're not talking to your kids, two things. Somebody else is. And they're going to hear things at school from their peers. They're going to hear things from media. So you want to make sure you're checking in and kind of giving them another perspective. So whether you're watching a show or you hear something or it's at the dinner table, you want to be just another message of truth, of dignity, of honesty, so that if something happens, I'm talking whether it's something that's sexually inappropriate, sexual assault, or if they're called something at school, fat, you know, you're gross, whatever the word may be, they will understand, hey, this is something my parents talk about and understand. I can go and talk to them. Whereas if you don't ever have a conversation, they're not going to talk to you because they're going to think, my parent doesn't know anything about this. I'm going to freak them out. They're not equipped and they won't know what to do. So I'm just going to stuff it or, you know, go talk to my girlfriend who won't know what to say. So I think the more you just kind of weave it throughout, whether it's talking about predators and sneaky people were talking about, hey, your body is strong and amazing what you just did out there on that athletic field. Or I see you in this theater class memorizing those lines. Like, that's amazing. Like, tell me, like, how do you do that? The more that you kind of make it part of the conversation, it's not awkward and weird. I didn't know that parents just did the one time because until we had our girls and a lot of parents would take their daughters away in fifth grade and go for like a weekend away and have the talk. And I was like, what are you doing? That's so awkward. You're thinking we have the talk every day. I was like, and it's late. Well, yeah, fifth grade. I'm like, they already know. The average age of porn exposure is 10. Mm, Right. You need to be talking about body image, sexual abuse prevention, sexuality by 10. And hopefully before, because they're not just hearing about the topic. They're seeing really graphic images Mm. at 10. 10.1 was the last stat that I saw. When you were talking about the conversations, I remember my dad telling me, you can talk to me about anything. I love you unconditionally. And I, I actually heard the word first from him. didn't even know what the word meant. And I asked him, he said, I, all the time, no matter what, you can talk to me about anything. And he said that so much. And then finally, it was probably a few years later, I remember thinking, 
I'll see if he's true on this one. So I went to him. I was like, hey, dad, I got to talk to you about something. And you know how you said talk about anything? He said, yeah. I was like, well, here we go. It was normal for him. And he normalized, like, I had shame. And when I talked to him and the way he responded was like, well, let's talk about it. Oh, yeah. I remember him saying, I know what that feels like. And just literally all I needed was my dad to be like, I know what that feels like. And it was like gone. Like he carried the burden, took it away. And parents, that's a really powerful thing that parents can do. So what do you say to the parent that's not like your dad? It's afraid, the mom or dad, that, man, it's just a scary thing. I don't talk to anybody else about this. And they have their and own I'm not gonna, yeah. yeah, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to talk to my kids because I wouldn't know how to do it. Maybe I'm just too afraid. How would you coach them? A few things. The first thing I would say is you might be hurting. I don't want to assume that they are. You might be hurting. And I think what would be a wise way to address that? Do you need to talk to your spouse, your pastor, a counselor? Maybe there's pain there that should be addressed. If you go in hot with, like, Try not to screw this up with your kid. Like, that's a burden. <laughs> That'll crush them. Yeah. I mean, they, most parents already feel like failure. I was going to say, we already parenting. feel like that. What I don't want to do is put a brick in their backpack first. And so want to say, was there a reason that that's happening? Was that modeled to you by your parents that they didn't do this? How did that work for you? Did you like that or do you wish they would have been more open? Like, you know, be thoughtful about yourself. Be caring. And then I would say, this is a great opportunity If you do have pain, you can help steer it in a different direction. You can model it differently to your kids, and it doesn't have to be like this. Like, this could be a moment that God's going to heal and give you hope and healing, and then you get to – that's my parents' story. My parents were abused as kids, like horrible stuff, and they just determined, like, we're going to be different. It's staggering when you see what they are like as parents and what their childhood was like. That's what God does. He brings life out of death. Mm. He can look at your story of suffering and the effects of you feeling awkward about this, being emotionally shut down and being shamey, and he can transform that. That's what he does. He's in the business of that. He loves doing that kind of stuff. So that question is, that's what God does. And go to him and ask, transform me, teach me, lead me. You know, take away the voice of condemnation. Remind me who I am. Like, just all the gospel promises that are there, just bathe them in it. That's what I was going to say, Justin, is I think to even evaluate your self-talk, what you're saying to yourself continually. I know when I was in my 30s, I I can't remember the book that I was reading, but it had us write down the things that you're saying to yourself. And I remember looking at this list, and they were all negative. Mm-hmm. You're not enough. You're failing. You're ugly. You're not a good mom. You know, and I was like, wait, this is the self-talk that's going in my head all day, and it's opposite of what God would say. Yep. I didn't even know that, actually, because I didn't know God well enough to know that he's a God that speaks life, who we are image bearers, and he delights in us. And I think to even talk about that with other people is so healthy and good. Everything you guys talk about is relationship, building that relationship with our kids where the doors open, we're in constant communication. And and I'm sitting here wondering, what's it like right now at the Holcomb dinner table? (laughs) You've got two daughters right at 11 and 13 years old. They're walking right into a pivotal time in their life. So, Coach, I mean, what's it like at your dinner table? Part of me thinks Lindsay brings this up for every night, you know? <laughs> They're like, it's a war zone out there. Huh? <laughs> I was in middle school. It's just we watch um, Survivor with them, and so they'll, they'll <laughs> equate some things as Survivor. But just going back to one thing we said, and then we can talk about the dinner table, is encouraging parents. You know, we do 
swim safety with our kids. We have them, everybody buckle up properly. We talk about driving safety and crossing the road safety. This is just another piece of that, whether it's talking about body safety or like you said, checking in with them and just asking questions. I think that removes the burden of I've got to have this huge speech or Mm -hmm. I've got to have this big conversation. Ask questions. Mm -hmm. Ask questions about who they're sitting with at lunch. Like you'll get insight into how they're doing and just be ready to listen. But treat it like this is just as important as it is as teaching them to swim and teaching them those things. But at the dinner table, we, you know. Let's be honest. (laughs) <laughs> no, not, don't be super honest because oh, I'll look gosh. bad. But <laughs> um, there's a lot of laughing. A lot of laughing. But there is crying, too. I mean, it just depends on not the day. It depends. Like yesterday, there was crying from our seventh grader in middle school. She's just feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. And I was able to say to her, like, I get it. I've had some women in, you know, in our 40s that just turn on you quickly. And there's no rhyme or reason. And so she's experiencing some of that. And so I was able to say, I understand. Like, I get it. Like, do you want to brainstorm or do you want to just, you know, I mean, just to hug in, like, let's just cry it out. Which like, is a great question. Where you at, you know? And we kind of usually give them, like, a good 12, 24 hours. Like, you can cry and be bummed. And then we're going to move from there. Like, we're not going to just stay there, but we're going to make a plan and move from there. But she wasn't ready. She needed just to cry. But we do kind of the brownie frowny of the day, and that gives us insight into how everybody's That's doing. That's huge. Wait, talk brownie, about what that is. Because we, we did that, but we didn't call it that. What's your high or low? Yeah. Brownie frowny. Somebody came up with this year. Um, I think that was um, the younger one. Let me jump in, because what's most powerful about our dinner time is that there's real honesty. Mm-hmm. We tell stories about our day, and sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not good. I'll talk about you know, things that happen. Sometimes I'm thrilled. Sometimes I'm not. And honesty is the key. And when Lindsay started doing the brownie frowny thing, like that's an easy way. Suddenly, if someone they need to talk, they'll let you know the vibe at the table of honesty, laughter and crying is the best. I mean, I'm home for dinner. We did that as well. And we would have because we had sons, we had them put a feeling word with it. Ooh. Oh, I like that. When they get married, I want them to be able to tell their wives what they feel. Yeah. And that was difficult as little boys, you know, like I felt I was angry or how was your day? Fine. You know, so to getting them to express what did you feel about your day and put a feeling word with it. Those are my favorite parenting moments because you really get to know your kids and their fears and their joys. And this is what you do in all of your books is you bring Jesus, you bring God into it because it's the image, you know, you're made in the image of God. And so bringing God into it, I remember our kids saying, Mom, I know you love me and I know God loves me, but, you know, sometimes I feel like nobody else loves me. Mm-hmm. The honesty of that is brilliant to me. I haven't thought about this before. One of my pastor friends has talked to me about when he's preaching, he does story, emotion, desire. Like mm. what what are the facts how do you feel about it? And what do you want God to do about it? You ought to your desire. Wow. And so he, he said, when I'm listening to my kids, and so I'm just passing this on. And this is what happens naturally, mostly because of Lindsay, but I'm aware of it too um, at our dinner table, is sometimes you'll hear a story in the emotion. And the question I have is, okay, what's the prayer out of that? Or sometimes you hear the desire in the story, but like, well, what's the emotion? That's the question you ask. Give me a feeling word. Or they'll be communicating what they want with emotion, but what's the story that happened behind it? Mm. And so... I think having parents listening to their children through what's the story, what's the emotion, what's the desire, and seeing what piece might be missing, because that gives you a question. And that's why, I mean, as soon as you said, what's the feeling, I thought, 
that sounds familiar. It sounds <laughs> like my pastor buddy. There's a power in yeah. that. And when you were talking about identity, about the negative self-talk, I just want to go back to that because if you're in Christ, the words that are used, if you're in Christ, are berserk. They're crazy. They're mind-blowing. Go through it, Justin. Remind all of us. Righteous. Mm-hmm. You're the righteousness of God. Pure. Like, that's not a word I'm picking for myself. I'm making, I'm a, okay, I'm smart. I'm <laughs> a pretty good husband and dad. I'm a good teacher. Like, I'll come up with, like, some really neat compliments. Pure, perfect, holy, righteous, without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Like, I'm not going to make those up about myself, but that's what the Apostle Paul, he says, if you're in Christ, pure, perfect, and righteous. Like, that's what people need to hear. Mm. I mean, regardless of their story, whether they've sinned or been sinned against, those are the words people need. So that negative self-talk, I mean, talk about that. I mean, if you don't have that, if you don't have the gospel, the best you can come up with is to counter the negative self-talk that you have. And you're going to come out with something like that's an equal, mm. like I'm damaged goods. No, you're not. You're stupid. No, you're smart. You're ugly. No, you're beautiful. But then when you can realize it's way better, pure, perfect, righteous, and holy in Christ, and it's not coming from you, mm. but it's coming from the creator and redeemer, then that has authority behind it. That has some staying power, I think. And if there's anything I've learned from you, and I've learned a lot in these two programs, one of them is huge. Is what he just said is that whatever we as parents are saying and dealing with and believing is passed on. If I'm obsessed with my body every single day, I shouldn't be shocked when my daughter or son starts saying the same kind of things. But if I'm understanding my Imago Dei image of God, I am literally righteous. I'm pure in Christ, and that's how I live. That will be passed. I've got to be very careful what I'm inputting Mm. and watching what I output because it will pass on to my kids. So, parents, you're going to want to pick this book up for your kids, but also for yourself. God made me in his image. Thanks, you guys. to thank Dave and Ann Wilson along with Bob Lapine and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Marriage is a beautiful thing when it's working well, but when it's not, it can stretch us beyond what we ever thought possible. Would you be willing to contribute to our Save a Marriage Fund, used to help sponsor everyday Australian couples who are on the brink? To give a gift, please navigate to our website at families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family.